1: And welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. Now, it's been a while since we've had some wonderful, wonderful guests, but I've been waiting especially for this lovely lady that we are speaking to today. Connected only recently, felt that connection from the minute we first started speaking together. Today, my wonderful guest is Rachel Rachel Gotto. She's a clinical hypnotherapist and elite life coach a speaker and an author, an all-round fantastic lady. Just from the stuff that we've been speaking about prior to doing this, this podcast, I say to all my listeners, get pen and paper ready, take notes, because after this podcast, once you've listened to it, you need to reach out and connect with Rachel because I'm sure you will be wanting to connect and work with her. Welcome, Rachel.
0: Oh, thank you, Paul. What a lovely introduction. It's lovely to be here, it really is.
1: Oh, I've been looking forward to this from when we first spoke just a few months ago we hit it off that connection and you have so much to share with people so thank you thank you for being a guest on my show my pleasure really my pleasure in that case without further ado I'm going to start with the first question and we'll just go from there so Rachel can you describe your career path to date please Oh, I most certainly
0: can. And it's a bit of a windy road, Pearl. (laughs) How long have we got? (laughs) Um, So actually, my career began probably when I was about 23 for the first time. I was an early starter and I was sort of an entrepreneurial lady very early on. And about the age of 23, I started my own business, believe it or not. And I converted an old house into a restaurant uh, three apartments and a small village shop. And actually, it was the house that we had first when we moved to Ireland because we, we came to Ireland from the north of England. So oh. I was we were sort of planted into the south of Ireland and I created this whole business. And, you know, I was almost whispering behind my hand telling you that I really... Didn't really know what I was doing. I I knew I loved food, and I knew that I loved people, and I knew I liked to serve people. But so it was kind of a strange start. Whereas, funny enough, I hired a chef, and the chef couldn't cook, so I had to be thrown in the deep end straight away. So not only was I doing front of house, I was doing the cooking, I was doing the ordering, I was ordering for the shop, I was cleaning beds and bedrooms, and it was all encompassing. But I have to say, it was a period in my life where. It was really great fun. I was young. I worked 24-7. I, had, I probably went to the pub after I finished. You know, it was really a fantastic thing. But looking back now, I'm 51 now. I'm looking back and I'm, I'm looking back and saying, well, good on you, Rachel. That was not a bad start. Um, so that was the beginning of my career path, Pearl. And then it took a bit of a dive for about, gosh, 20 odd years. And the reason being was that once I got this restaurant up and running and it was it was quite a popular restaurant, we, we lived by the sea, it was on the pier. So we had lovely fresh fish and it was a really popular place. And we were actually, we had an all girl crew, which was unusual at that time. And a lot of people were intrigued by a restaurant run by women. So we were early sort of <laughs> feminists in that way. And, um, but what happened was sadly, When um, I was 24, I think, um, my my gorgeous brother, Dominic, uh, got diagnosed with bowel cancer at the age of 26. And we were very close. We'd gone our separate ways, but emotionally we were very close. We'd we'd survived. And I say survived. We had. Yes, we'd survived a very tough childhood. Uh, with a father who was quite dysfunctional and in a country that we hadn't really been cemented in properly and it wasn't easy and Dominic and I clung together in many respects So we were like what we call the Irish twins because we were actually only born a year apart so we were the Irish twins and we, we, we came out of this childhood together he went one way I went the other but we were quite glued together emotionally And so he returned to Ireland at the same time that I did. I began to open my restaurant and he came back to Ireland to do other work. And um, sadly, his diagnosis was not only a blow to him, it was an enormous blow to me. And I immediately galvanized into action. And what I did was actually, I sort of sidelined the restaurant and I went straight into caring for him and straight into being there for him and supporting him. And he decided in his wisdom at age 26 not to have conventional treatment. And, you know, we'd had quite an alternative upbringing and I can really understand his mindset. We were some of the first people to grow our own food. Uh, You know, we kept hens for eggs. Uh, We used herbs. So we had come from that sort of background. But um, it was his decision and I supported him in it. What we did was we actually traveled the world looking for a cure for his cancer. So we ended up in Mexico for quite some time um, on a dietary regime, the Gershon Clinic. It's world famous now. Anyone who lo- wants to look it up and the Oasis of Hope, they were doing very alternative. Um, well, I should say complementary and adjunctive cancer therapies because they also used chemotherapy as well. Um, so we traveled quite a lot and a long way. And we went to Germany, to a clinic in Germany. We went to clinics in Ireland, all seeking a cure for his cancer. But sadly, it wasn't meant to be. And the progression of disease continued its, its awful march. And until actually he died in my arms with my mother and, um, when he was 28 and I was uh, 26. So that was a, a huge blow to me. And when Dominic died, it was quite literally as if part of me went too. I was devastated. Um, I hardly knew where my place was in the world after that. And the restaurant sort of seemed to lose its um, shine. And, you know, I, I really was quite flawed. I think it was just the fact that I, looking back, we were probably very codependent. Yes. And I hadn't done the work and myself to be independent course I was grieving but I, I believe looking back I was grieving in a way um that was a traumatic loss yeah so my career path took a funny windy road after that funny enough because there was there was some good news in this story in that I met my husband Nick at that point and um he came to me um through the sea he arrived in to Glandor Harbor on a boat and um came into my restaurant and I knew the moment I met him, Pearl, that he was going to be significant. You know that when you just know somebody's going to mean something to you. I knew that moment that this man was going to be of some part of my life, however it would be. And so we developed this this relationship. And um, so that was sort of rather comforting because I met him just a year before Dominic died. And it was rather comforting to have him. And you know, be around Dominic, and you know we were obviously developing a relationship. But when Dominic died, I was flawed. And Nick and I weren't seeing a lot of each other because funny enough, he was you know out um on the sea during the day, and I was working, and he was coming ho- I was coming home late at night. So we made this decision that actually I would go and help him. So my career path changed slightly there, and so I went and worked on the boat. I learned to scuba dive. And, um, I learned to do all sorts of things commercially at sea. And so it was, I, I was helping him run a scallop breeding project, you know, the scallops, the shellfish. Yeah. And so most of my day was under the water at that point. And, uh, so I had a very free, um, existence and probably it was very healing to be out and about in nature. Cause I'm, I, I believe that nature is one of our biggest teachers yeah. and one of our biggest healers and, um, in my in my wisdom and I'm gaining now. I hope I I always turn to nature for some form of solace, no matter what's going on. The wind, the sun, you know, the leaves and the trees, the trees themselves. So, I think that was very healing for me, and I think I was starting to heal. Um, you know, through all of that process, but what I didn't know, Pearl, was that something else was going to come onto the path—a big obstacle was going to land smack down on my career path and (laughs) and stop it dead in its tracks quite literally and it was almost as if I had a lot to learn and I was going to be given the lessons very very young in life and um, so what happened was a year after Dominic died Nick and I decided we would get married and It was a bittersweet time. Of course, I was delighted. And we were, you know, we were great companions. We were great people together. And so we did. We got married just a year after Dominic died. And I remember the day we got married. Part of me was bereft because Dominic wasn't there. And part of me was delighted. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And happily, I found I was pregnant in January. We got married in um, December. And I was pregnant in January. So a whole new change for me. Um, for everything so there was a lot to get used to and um, yeah Nicola was such a great thing for us we were you know we we're really excited about it Nick already had two children from a first relationship and you know they were involved in our lives so it was all starting to come together quite nicely and I was starting to find my feet again and of course new life almost it was almost as if Dominic was part of that new life you know how we we like to make stories around our losses that was my story So the crunch and the absolute devastation that came in the wake of the fact that Nick died on the 24th of July, 1998 in a terrible accident with me present, all of that new life, all of that new energy literally quite literally left my life in that moment. And he died in a scuba diving accident one beautiful July evening, uh, not far out the harbour on a wreck called the Kowloon Bridge. He'd been diving with some new scuba diving equipment and um, the equipment failed him. And I was on board the boat and the rescue operation that went on played in my life, in my mind, in my mind's eye for years and years and years, the sound of it, the horror of it all and helicopters and lifeboats. And so when I got to shore and I was taken to the hospital that night, I was, you know, it's funny how the mind is pearl. You know, I really didn't allow myself to believe that actually he he was dead. I sort of played this mind game with myself that if I can get there in time, if I can just arrive in time, if I can just get to him, he'll be okay. Um, but when I got to the hospital of course I was told officially that he well, he had arrived dead and you can imagine I'm six months pregnant um, I'd had so much loss already and now Nick was gone and it quite literally was. To describe it you know people I'm sure people would like to know how it feels because you know these things are important and and people like to be able to identify with with losses so they can find you know some story in their own losses to to hold on to i can only tell you that i felt as if somebody had turned out the sun yeah i felt as if i was energetically isolated from the rest of the planet my body felt awful the pain just the the adrenaline the shock the shaking the numbness oscillating between numbness and and terror I I was so petrified of the dark after that I think that I was so dark inside and it it opened up a terrible fear of my own death and so I was sort of reeling from the loss of all of this. And at the same time, I was growing a new baby. I was growing a new life. So the dichotomy of that pearl, excuse me, was quite something. Letting go the darkness of loss, letting go of the people I loved so dear. And at the same time, facing into bringing a new life into the world. It took me all I had. It took me every nerve and sinew I had in my nervous system to continue. And, you know, I think really, as I look back, you know, intuitively, I knew that silence and peace and nature were my nurturers at that time. And I remember, and I said it a few times in other interviews, I actually went to bed. I went to bed with a book, funny enough, about a man who had drowned and left his wife pregnant. Naomi James was her name. And she very kindly came to see me after Nick died and gave me her book of her journey through loss. And it was a great source of solace and comfort just to read this woman's story. And I ate jam sandwiches, Pearl. <laughs> so, you know, my bump and I and cups of tea and um, a book and jam sandwiches, that was all I could manage. And that was all I could do. And so this went on. And then, of course, Nicola was born. And she was born on the 6th of December, or 3rd of December. She killed me. Her birthday's just been the 3rd of December, 1998. So I had no career uh, for quite some time after that. Um, I really had to manage myself, manage Nicola. Nicola became unwell. Um, she lost the sight in her eye. And then, my in those times, I have to tell you though, in those times, I managed to sneak in to. When after Dominic died, I snuck in a couple of years of training of psychotherapy, Uh, then Nick died and I was left without that. After Nick died, I attempted to train as an acupuncturist and I'd done two and a half years of acupuncture. After Nick died, this is when Nicola was quite small. And then another big bomb went off in my life as if there weren't enough bombs and I knew that things were going a bit funny, Pearl, but, you know, when you've kind of had a really tough childhood, when you've lost your brother, when you've lost your husband, when you've given birth to a baby, when when things have gone so badly wrong there, you don't really uh, notice nuance of changes, you're sort of almost punch drunk. So I didn't notice that. When I jumped the car sometimes and I couldn't drive the car, I couldn't figure it out that anything was really wrong because I never slept. Nicola, I had PTSD, we now know. Uh, Nicola didn't sleep. So things were going funny. And, you know, I started to lose the use of my legs at night going to Nicola to give her a bottle. And I never thought that there was anything terribly wrong with me. I just thought it's trauma. It's grief. I'm miserable. Life's tough. This is just a grief response and exhaustion and loneliness and all the things that go with what's happened. So I woke up one morning on my back with Nicola sitting on me and she was screaming, don't die, don't die, mummy. And that was at a time when then I really couldn't ignore that things were a bit odd for me any longer. And I was rushed by ambulance to the local hospital and I was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour, a benign inoperable brain tumour. And so if we're talking about career paths, I think uh, you'd probably safely guess at that point in time that actually there was no career heading my way at all at the moment. Uh, I had a very busy um, employment, which was actually to try and stay alive. I had an AVM, which is called an arterial venous malformation. They're quite rare and they are a benign growth in the brain, but unfortunately, they generally keep growing. And they're known, they make themselves known, usually through a burst aneurysm, or sudden fatality, or a stroke or something like that. So mine was a grade six. And, you know, it's almost as if I'm the cheerleader, you can't get any bigger than grade six. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there was really, it wasn't a good picture. And the message that I received from the hospital was really, there's nothing we can do for you um there's very little we can do and your best bet would to be go and put your affairs in order and write your will and make provisions for your daughter because it's likely that you're not going to be around you know within the next year or so so my career which my my career which was just about to start which was to be acupuncture I'm afraid went out the window and unfortunately what went with it in the time was also my left hand and I was left-handed so um, you know, the, the tumour was on the right-hand side of my brain. So, of course, the left hand was beginning to be affected. So, anyway, I had a career path really after that, which was to try and save my life. And I went through every neurology department in Ireland and the same results, I'm sorry, go home and please and put your affairs in order. I headed over to England with a brilliant friend and some family and we went round the neurology departments in London and the Royal Free, you know, loads of hospitals that people would would know, um, only to get the same response. I'm so sorry. We cannot save your life. There's nothing we can do. And, you know, I always say this is the thing, pal, you know, if people are listening, do net do not give up. Never, ever, ever give up. Because if I'd have given up at that point, I probably wouldn't be speaking to you at all now. But I didn't give up. And then there was a chance introduction to a neurologist who knew a surgeon in Bristol who was known for maverick neurosurgery. And I got in touch with him and he wrote to me and he said, yes, I'll give it a go. These are your chances of how how it's going to go. Your chances of survival aren't great. But if you do, blah, blah. And the thing I never really read in that letter was it did say, "I, I wish I kept the letter now. It said, if you do survive, it's likely that you'll be paralysed on the left-hand side of your body for the rest of your days. Now, I probably skimmed over that at the time because I just wanted to be alive and around for my daughter and I wanted to be a mum. But after nearly 15 hours of neurosurgery, I was paralysed. I woke up paralysed down the left-hand side of my body. And that was a long journey. I can tell you the devastation that that brought on top of everything else was... I cannot tell you the darkness that came into my life when I woke up and I realized, oh, my God, it's true. I can't move. And the prognosis was you won't probably ever move the left hand side of your body ever again. So my next career, (laughs) and we're going to call them careers, was actually the journey to moving again, the journey to move my body again, the journey to learn to walk and be mobile again. And that was a very long journey. So in terms of formal careers, um, I have to say I I have a very short CV. But in in terms of life um, employment and and employment through really learning to live again, I've got a very packed CV. And, of course, that brings me to where I do work today almost. And um, so, yeah, the journey of learning to walk again was was, you know, a phenomenal journey. It took me such strength. It took me such tenacity, took me such involvement and immersion and never giving up again. That, you know, that drive to stay with that drive to keep, keep going. And I'm really proud to tell you that I walk perfectly. I've just got a slightly weak left leg. I'm very proud to tell you that my left arm and left hand move, they're not Brilliant. They're not perfect, but I have two hands that almost work. I wired myself to be right-handed anyway, so I can do pretty much anything. And um, my handwriting's like a five-year-old. That's the only thing. But um, and it's it, you know sometimes if people don't know me, that's that's the only bit of shame I have really is. If people don't know me and I write, handwrite, I think, gosh, are they going to think that I can't write? And recently I made a decision to stop apologizing for my writing because I was thinking there's loads of people who've learned to write as adults. And I'm almost shaming them by qualifying that I used to write really well. So I've decided um, to have my handwriting the way it is. So if anyone out there has got wonky handwriting or dodgy handwriting, celebrate it and just, (laughs) just be proud of what you can do. So that career path sort of came to an end, Pearl, and then a huge career opened up in front of me, which was a very painful career, a new one. And that was, I had been prescribed a lot of medication because of the scarring on my brain. I had intractable epilepsy as a result of this surgery. And at the height, I was taking four prescribed medications uh, four times a day. Six drugs, four times a day, excuse me. And they took their toll over the years. And over the years, I was becoming more and more depressed and more and more anxious and more and more agoraphobic and really I had very little quality of life. I was leading a sort of a gray, foggy life. And I was impulsive. I was compulsive. I would imagine that I was leading a life which was half of who I was, maybe a lot less. And there came a time one day when actually I'd watched a movie with Nicola and I couldn't remember watching the movie. My short-term memory and my long-term memory were completely gone. I could hardly remember who she was or how old she was and things were deteriorating rapidly until I finally started to look at the medication and I started asking questions. Is there a possibility that any of this medication could be making my life so poor and so bad? And I need to stress, I'm not anti-medication or anti-doctors or anything. This is just a story. Anyway, it transferred after, after, transferred after a lot of uh, examination and a lot, asking a lot of professional opinions. One doctor said, there's one drug here that could be making your life really bad. And it was called frisium. Now, I didn't even know the word benzodiazepine in those days. Now, we know a little bit about it now. Mm -hmm. But I knew nothing about benzodiazepines. But uh, over a seven-year period, I had become an accidental addict. So my next career path was a very painful and long and lonely and horrific journey, which took me two and a half years and nearly cost me the life, my life, my mother's life and my daughter's life to withdraw from this drug. I had the most severe withdrawal symptoms and the medical profession really didn't even understand it to the degree that I was experiencing it. So I turned to the online world and of course found forums and people who are experiencing the same thing as me and found actually there's a lot of people who are the inadvertent addicts and how to withdraw safely from these drugs was the question. And so I undertook a two and a half year withdrawal program uh, that was incremental reduction in my dose uh, over two and a half year period. I charted forty seven symptoms per mm. and um some of those I don't wish to trigger anybody, but some of those were actually homicidal tendencies. Um, I was physically in so much pain. I was agrophobic. I had such terrible anxiety, insomnia akathisia. I could go through them. But the reason why I'm naming them out is because I think that people, if they are trying to withdraw, it it puts a little bit of sense onto their journey. And I've written about this extensively in my memoir, which will be published next September, because I think it's a, a subject that needs a lot more unpacking, quite frankly, because there are a lot of people who are on medications and want to come off them and find they can't And where do they turn? Because coming off physically dependent drugs is so different to coming off uh, recreational drugs, which you can cold turkey. It's horrific, but you're not going to be in physical danger. If we cold turkey off medications like benzodiazepines, there is a physical danger to your life. So there are incidences where people have uh, had fatalities from this. So I would just stress that a slow, long withdrawal is the safest way. So that career, we're on a very long story here, Pearl. I hope you've got a cup of tea going. Um, So what's interesting about where we get to now, after I'd withdrew from the drugs, I'd been away out of society for two and a half years. I was completely agoraphobic. I'd lost all my social skills. I was beginning again. Now, we do know now that I am a clinical hypnotherapist practicing with a very, very busy practice, We do know that I'm an elite life coach. We know that I've written my memoir called Flying on the Inside, and that's to be published next September. And we also know that I'm a speaker. Now, if we do our maths, (laughs) we're wondering, where did this career come from? And this is what I love to share, Pearl. Just the 27th of May, 2013, I took my last benzodiazepine. I was still on other medications. I withdrew from that very slowly after that. So if we go to 2014 and 2015, and I've got this amazing career that I have now, how on earth did I get that career together in such a short space of time? And so I'm very proud to tell you that it's really only four years since I started my career. I'm 51 years of age. Now, we can hear by my life story, I've had a long career, but it was a career of of Survival. It was a career based on learning how to be in the world again. It was a career based on how to overcome deep and profound grief and loss. A grief on overcoming trauma, PTSD, complex loss. And, you know, I think what makes me the person I am today in my career, if we're talking career paths, is is that journey. I have my qualifications, of course. Um, as a clinical hypnotherapist and coach and therapist and all of that. But actually, it's my career of learning to be in the world again, my career of recovery, my career of overcoming loss and coming to peace with losing the people I held most dear and being a single mum into the bargain. So now I work full time helping other people. And I think all of that, Pearl, was if we're going to use the word God or universe, we you can, you can use them interchangeably. I don't mind at all. I, I don't see there's any difference in my mind that I was being prepared for a life of service. And that's where I am today with my career is really a life of service and helping others. And it gives me great joy. Um, and I earn a living from it. So it's fabulous.
1: All I can say is, wow. Wow. Just absolutely well. I could feel tears as you were sharing your story, inspiration. I can see why we were brought together. I had so anyone that listens to any of my shows, I use the word synchronicities a lot. The S word. Yeah. And I can synchronize with so many things that you speak about. I lost my mother Very suddenly, to such an extent, we had to have an autopsy because it wasn't expected. And that that was 2014. So when you even when you're saying dates, I can see things coming together. And I was with a partner and he had a pontine abscess on his brainstem. So when you're saying about that and that came from the weirdest of things, He'd had an abscess on his tooth, thought nothing of it. And the abscess burst. And then weeks later, he kept getting really hot and he was sweating at night. And I started thinking septicemia, something like that. And in the end, I made him go to the hospital, A&E, and he was slurring his words like he had a stroke. Uh. They kept him in. And it was only because of the age. Where they'd put him, it was almost like... it. If he'd have been much older, they'd have completely ignored it. And they said, no, we're going to do an MRI. And I can still remember because I was getting passports for my children to go away with my ex-husband and he'd refused to pay. And it was down to the last thing. So I had to go all the way to Peter Mm. to get that. And I got a call on the way back to say, you need to get to the hospital now. The doctor needs to tell you something. And we rushed and we rushed and we got there. And they said there is an abscess, and we we were lucky in the Midlands. We went to Coventry and Warwick Hospital, and the per- I mean didn't have a brilliant name that mm. hospital. Mm. What the specialist did for my partner at the time was one he drained the abscess. They said if people had tried to remove it, he wouldn't have survived. But he drained it, and it, it very rare very similar you can see the synchronicities yes but from that it was his right side it affected him like a stroke and his right side never worked properly and so I became his carer and it just mm. then you can see the synchronicities yes you can similar and even when you started from where you started your career we are both entrepreneurial I I went the long way round, and I did my degree as a mature student I was down to do law at Cambridge and it all went to pot so then I read it and I studied English and not only did I do my degree I was a single mum at the time going through my divorce and I set up my first company all at the same time and I see so many similarities
0: yeah well but done
1: it, and this is why I can see already, I see the start of a very long friendship. I mean, <laughs> because we can see <laughs> Absolutely, so likewise. Likewise. And it's I mean to the listeners, that that this is such a special, special interview already. People are going to come back and re-listen and they will get something different from each mm. each of your answers because there's so much that you have to give. And you are truly, truly inspirational. And I I can't wait for your memoirs to come out. Can't wait at all. And I will be shouting from the rooftops as soon as everything's published. So I can say you've got to read this.
0: Well, the thing is, Pearl, as well, um, I've written it in a way that is is very open and honest. And um, I haven't hidden anything. And I had to think very long and hard about how I would write it because Um, I wanted to give people permission to be honest and truthful that's the thing and so and firstly thank you for those lovely words Um, but you know I, I will look forward to you promoting it and it'll be exciting to have it out there this story is my main reason for writing this story is that I want people to identify with some part of it, as I said earlier. And the other thing is, is to give everybody permission to speak, to tell their story, to be open and, and to bring stuff to the table that they wouldn't dare otherwise. So that's why I've written it the way I've written it. It's, it's an honest account and, um, yeah, it's it's a saga. It's a journey and it's a journey and a half, but it to me it had to be uplifting it had to be inspirational it's not a woe me um it's very much this is what happened to me and look at me now and this is really the message I want to offer everybody is there is so much you can achieve there's so much you can do and you don't need to take off a massive big bite-sized chunk just start with something very manageable, something that really resonates with you and work on that for a while. You know, we're not in a major hurry here. We're just working all the time towards what I call our greatness. And that's not an arrogant greatness. That's living our life with fulfillment and passion and the fullness of who we are. And so that's why I wrote it. And I do want the world to know
1: that anything is possible. Absolutely anything. And this is what's so special as well. And I see empathy. I hear empathy in your voice. And I think anyone that works with you and you've got such a raft of skill sets and ways that people can work with you. And it is so different. You fully understand because you've lived it. A lot of people say, oh, they're a coach because they've been through something and they feel sympathy. They don't feel empathy. And you find it's almost the the client becomes the teacher a lot of the time, whereas you fully encompassed everything. Anyone that works with you, you can bring so much to the table, Mm. so much experience, so many examples that people can see. This is how using certain skills and things you can move forward. And it is, I say again, you are truly, truly inspirational. Oh, thank you, wonderful. (laughs) Well, you know, in
0: terms of the work I do. Um interestingly you know I think I learn something new from every client to be honest. Um I think I heal a little bit more with every client. And in terms of my life's journey I love to be able to bring all of me to the table and you know sometimes that's me also um being vulnerable with my clients you know offering personal insights and all my work that I, I do with my clients, be it in the coaching or in, the, in therapy, or even in the speaking, to be honest, is I'm very solution focused. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly solution focused, and I always I had to be solution focused to to get to where I am today, and I think that you know that is hopeful for people because um, I think all forms of therapy have value and merit. I absolutely do, but I do believe that. Sometimes just talking around the problem constantly is almost leaving us in it. So, I like to be quite dynamic and solution focused and have tools and tasks. And and so, we're working at whether the the client is empowered to find their own way out of their issue. And you know, of course, uh, deeper seated emotional issues need different forms of work, but certainly. You know, I do, I offer body work, breath work, uh, you know, affirmations, gratitude. I, I don't leave a stone unturned because I do think any healing is involving all sorts of modalities. If anybody says they have the one fix, I don't believe you because I know for my own healing, it's taken me So many different forms of working and sometimes something that worked one day didn't work the next. So we've got to be very ducky-divey. And if it doesn't work today, well, we'll find something else that will. So that's my approach to it is let's use every tool in our toolbox (laughs) and let's bring everything we can to the table. The only thing is, is it is super important for the client to be motivated and to want this. I don't work with people who don't want it Who want, You know, I I want to work with people who are ready to really bring themselves forward. And um, I think that's such an exciting thing. I really do. I get very fired up. You can probably hear it when I have a client who's ready and wants to do this work. They get every part of me, you know, and um, hence we get
1: brilliant results, you know, and that's the important thing. I see so many similarities, most definitely the passion comes through and it is, I think if someone is motivated to do something, they will do it and they will achieve and they will get the results. And like you say, you can take so many different modalities from different things and depending on the work you need to do, you might need to take three things from that toolbox to clear it where something else might only need one module that's going to help and sure. seeing how you actually work with it but again not everyone is a leader and sometimes it needs it needs that client the customer to understand that what is it they want they need to be truly motivated as as a coach you can never you can't perform magic if it's not there with the client they have to have that mm. that spark that they want to do it and if they're not meant to be a leader, then that doesn't mean they've got so much else they can do. Right. But it's being motivated and knowing what is it that motivates them. And if they go in with one idea, but it doesn't suit their dreams, they have to learn to pivot. And I think that's where a lot of the training and the skill sets come in to learn to pivot. Right. COVID at the minute, I think we've all changed. So many people that have worked face to face Suddenly we do the Zoom course. We work with people, we still get the connection, but we might never have met physically, but we go with those bits of knowledge we have and learn to pivot and move forward with it. Mm, and mm. and it's just wonderful. You do you inspire me in everything you're saying. It's just wonderful. Oh, thank you, Pearl. Well,
0: actually, you know, I work with people all over the world. At the moment, I've got a client in Uzbekistan of all places, a wonderful woman. And we we forage a connection across the, the thousands of miles apart because you know compassion, empathy, and, and, and energetic connection, you don't need to be sitting next to somebody. No. You know, and that's the beauty about it. And if we're going to go into the ethereal and spirituality, <laughs> the spirituality of all that, we'll be here all day. Because I believe that we can call somebody in energetically so quickly in our work. So I I mean I would much rather see people on the one-to-one, but that's, you know, that's not going to be possible for quite some time. And in a way, we're more accessible to people because we are working on online and so much more more can be, so much more information can be offered, and you know, and so on and so on. I but I I absolutely, if you have the will, if you've even got a seed of a will, you don't have to be fully fledged, you know. In, in terms of motivation, because some people, when they're depressed and anxious, motivation is, is, is sort of something they're trying to grasp onto. Yeah. But even just one seed of that is enough for people to get enough as a spark. And if you think we're lighting a fire, we light a fire with a spark, don't we? Yeah. And we have to blow on it and we have to add a bit of, you know, maybe a bit of dry leaves and a bit of kindling and a bit of this. And, a, and it's about that is about how healing works. It's, it's never linear. It's never something that happens overnight. There are occasions where people just snap into full health. But healing is a process. And the point about the process to me is, I am so glad I didn't heal straight away. I'm just, I look back, Pearl, and I literally am glad I had to go through all I went through. You know, I I can look, back and I think oh my goodness there were times when I nearly gave up you know there were times when I didn't want to be alive anymore there were times when you know I just felt as if I couldn't hold the space for myself any longer and that's why I think it's always important to give the message of hold on because we don't know what's right around the corner we never know what's coming and we can still live with purpose and meaning within our pain We can still find beauty within our suffering. And we can still find connection in our suffering. And that's the beauty about the online world. I honestly believe that I'm not sure, I'll whisper it, but I'm not sure I would have been here now if there hadn't been an online world. I went into a forum when I was withdrawing from benzodiazepines called benzobuddies.org, by the way, if anyone needs to get really important information um it's a brilliant place i went in and i helped people in that forum that helping people online when i was unable to leave the house gave me purpose and meaning yeah. it gave me a job to do i and then i became an um a moderator on the forum and then i became an administrator on the forum and that was giving back at the time. I didn't know then that I was destined always to be giving. You know, I just didn't know. I didn't have that language within me, but I've always wanted to serve and help. And so our online world, I think, is a, it's, it has, it has you know, it's got a two headed sort of um, sword, really, in a way, because it can be so damaging the lights and, you know, not walking around with sitting, sitting around so much but we do reach more people and we we people more people can have community and we know that people heal well in community they heal better in communities so we can join online communities if we're feeling isolated and so on and so on we can learn how to do yoga online we can learn breath techniques online it's all there for us
1: in some shape or form so i think it's a wonderful thing i couldn't agree more i mean my corporate background is digital communication. So it's just perfect. But seeing how you use that and taking that little bit and adding it to your toolkit, seeing what skill sets you need to grow and taking it a bit at a time, but also seeing on a global scale that there are people that you can connect with that are feeling Mm -hmm. the same thing. I go back to the COVID thing. So many people have changed how they think spent time to take to look within and see what can I do for myself and see the difference I mean I I've seen yes where where I realized from corporate my body said no stop you've doing too much I used to work Mm. stupid hours Mm. but I'm one I'm one that if it's if I truly believe in it I will give 150 percent 200 percent all the time and then suddenly I realized this spiritual side like you said There's there's so much we could discuss. I'm going to ask now, would you come back and almost be a regular guest if your schedule allows? Because I see so many different discussions Mm. that we could have from this. Mm. But it's the spiritual side, the law of attraction. When you've said about the universe and you don't realise what's out there, what you put out, the universe mirrors and brings back. So all those great things, the great clients that come to work with you is because you've done that work. And the universe is just reflecting that back to you, mirroring it to you. And I see everything mm. you're saying is so positive; mm. it mm. really is. Mm.
0: Oh, absolutely. And you know, it, it, you know, positivity. People say, "Oh, I, I can't be positive," or you know, that I don't feel positive, or it's it's not for me. And you know, I I always say, "Well, start small." You know, and my 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 biggest one is we breathe today. We have breath in our bodies. To me, that alone is a fabulous thing. And you might say to me, Well, that's okay when you're in a you know feeling great, Rachel. And you know, and I'm saying, no, I actually turn to that when things aren't great for me. And believe me, just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean to say I've got a perfect life. I still have to work on myself, and I do every day. I am relentless. I love working on myself. But to find some small thing that you can just work on, which is I have breath today. That means I'm alive. Okay, that's a start. And then you just build on that, and build and build and build and build on it. And the internet gives us access to all of that. We 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 have wisdom at our fingertips. We've got books. Um, actually, I have a couple of books here as well. Um, you know, so we, if we're interested, if we if we have some form of a vision, if we have some form of motivation, if we have a need to be around to serve somebody else, if whatever the reason or the motivation is, you can build on that and grow it to a point where you truly do live life with fullness and growth and purpose on nearly an everyday um, basis.
1: Oh, I love this. And I say this. Again, and I'm saying it throughout this interview, you are so, so inspirational. Oh, in thank what... you. I don't, I
0: don't intend to be. I just want to give that message that, you know, there's an awful lot of living to be done, guys, and we have to get out and live it. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by miracles. We just have to do it. We have to do the work. And I'm living proof of it. Um, you know, I'm I absolutely am living proof. And people say to me, Oh, but Rachel, you've got some special powers. I wouldn't have that ability. And I'm going, oh yes, you do. Yeah. Because, you know, what is it? Necessity is the master of invention, is it? What's the what's the phrase? Something I, I, I like I that. that is, yes. yes. So, but I mean, yes, it was I had a necessity. I had a reason, I had a purpose, but mostly I wanted to live. I wanted to live most fully. I wanted to live with purpose and meaning and I had to work for that. Of course, I wanted to be around my daughter and that's a given, you know, and she is one of my greatest teachers incidentally as well. And I think we can learn a lot from the young people today in many respects. They have, they
1: have a vision that is different to ours. Most definitely. Now, this interview normally i have a whole list of questions but we've got into so much depth i'm going to jump and ask a few questions now you mentioned books and i know like you've written books so i will ask you can you name three titles of your favorite books and why you've chosen them because this is one of my passions and i i just i just love to see what it is that you'd recommend please rachel sure
0: well um there's a book actually i i I wasn't able to read for about 10 years um, after my brain surgery. My brain just wouldn't take in reading. So I have the joy of being able to read again, which is to me, I'm a passionate reader as well. I love books. But there's a book that stands out that's a novel that stands out from pre, pre sort of, I think it was after Nick died, I think I found this book. And it's called A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. Now to me, he's a fabulous author. And The Fine Balance is an epic saga set in India. And it's about the nitty gritty of living in a massive um, metropolis of people and in cities and smells and sounds and all that's attached to living in India. To me, it was one of the most marvelous stories that I got lost in. And if anyone is, is a novel reader, likes reading novels, it was written probably about 15 years ago, Fine Balance by Written to Mystery. You will be sent for days, it's thick as well. So if you like a decent book to get into. So that would be a novel, but um, I probably don't read many novels anymore. I absolutely love books on personal growth, anything to do with the mind, neuroplasticity, neuroscience. Um, And also about uh, mindful and Buddhist practice and um, a lot of my my own personal practice is centered around mindfulness and coming home to myself and my body and um, of course uh, gratitude and gratitude lists and how to be grateful. So I just brought two books with me because I thought I could get into a whole list um, also I'm very interested in the this field of epigenetics I'm not a scientist by any manner of mean how could I I wouldn't have time to be a scientist I, all the surviving I was doing but there is um, a wonderful man and I've been to see him and um, he's called Bruce Lipton um, he's a PhD and it's called the biology of belief now this is um, about the science behind epigenetics and epigenetics came came after the human genome product and basically what the breaking down of it is they used to think that our genes controlled us they used to think that with our with our dose of genes that's how our life would play out so if we had a propensity to should we say cancer or anything that that's probably how it would would run this is a very simplistic version because i'm not a scientist but what epigenetics tells us is that yes we may have the predisposition within our genes but we can alter our gene expression by what we think and what we visualize. So therefore, it's the power of our mind and what we choose to think controls our gene expression. So what that says to us in effect is that we have more control than we thought over our emotional health and our physical health. Now, when I found this book, it was like the lights went on because as we know, I was paralyzed down the left-hand side of my body I have rewired my mind and my body for me to be physically moving again. How? Because I'm some miracle? No. Because our brain is plastic. Because our brain can put down new neural circuitry and new neural pathways. So that, to me, was one of the most exciting books. It's not too scientific. It's quite accessible to the um, you know average person. Because I'm you know if, if I can read it, I'd say most people can. And the subtitle is "Unleashing the Power of Consciousness." Matter and Miracles. I found it a phenomenal book. It was so liberating and it explained my recovery to a certain degree as well. So, and also it's a reinforcement that we must choose to think positively. We must choose to visualize ourselves healthy and well. We must visualize, you know, our whole healing mechanism. We should visualize ourselves eating up rogue cells. We should visualize all of that and choose to expect the best. Choose to be positive. Choose to populate our worlds and our minds with things that are positive and forward thinking, because that's what we create health, how we create health in our body. So I thought that was a very exciting book to bring to the table. So that's the biology of belief by Bruce Lipton. And I'm, I'm a great uh, follower of the um, Buddhist leader, Thich Nhat Hanh. And, um, I've been on a silent retreat with the monastics from Plum Village, which is where Thich Nhat Hanh um, has his monastery in France. Well, actually, he's back in Vietnam now because he had a stroke. He's he's in his late 80s now. But I chose, I have quite a few of his books, but The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, it, it, it's a beautiful book by, a, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Buddhist monk, and it's it's how to, Acquire the skills of being mindful. How to utilize it, and what is the benefit of being mindful? Now, as a clinical hypnotherapist, um, I know that the mind can be off, thinking all sorts of terrible things and reinforcing all sorts of negativity in our minds. And so, I do know that if we employ the mind with mindfulness and being in the moment, this very moment that we have now is there's only really you and me, Pearl. and you know, there's nothing else. The whole world has receded away from us. Our brains are focused at the task at hand, which is having this gorgeous conversation. We're not off thinking horrible thoughts. We're not creating negativity. What we're doing is we're focused in in the moment. And this is a wonderful skill that anyone can start to employ, is to be mindful. Stay in the moment. Control your thoughts. Control your mind. It's a discipline. It's something that we need to build on and, and, and hone the skill of. But we can remove an awful lot of negativity and stress and anxiety by literally staying focused in the moment. So this book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, and it's a classic guide to meditation, right, and mindfulness. I think if we had these two books on our shelves and then a decent novel for for the fun times, um, I think we could go, you know, quite a long way to bringing ourselves into feeling that we are, actually in charge of our minds and our thoughts and what we visualize so there's my three
1: books for you oh this is absolutely absolutely wonderful and i know we're getting quite close on time so i'm going to ask you one more question but like i said i have already asked if you'd come back because i, <laughs> I see will. a whole series of discussions now uh, this is the longest question but i've i've written so i've take great big breath, <laughs> deep breath when, <laughs> Do I, that. when i read it out but it I think it just would end this interview perfectly. Rachel if you could share a great meal with anyone alive or dead what would the meal be and who would it be with
0: that's such a great question and you know I really like it and I'm 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 going to disappoint you in my answer I think actually because most people pick somebody famous or you know pick somebody that would have you know great wisdom to share I actually would like to sit down for dinner with my grandmother on my father's side. I never met her. And there's a lot of uh, difficulties in my family of origin. And I would love to sit down with that woman and be able to ask her, where did this all begin? What do you know? How can you tell me about family patterns? What can you tell me about your parents? Um, and I would just absolutely love that because I think it would be very healing. And I know nothing about the lady. I just know that she was very strong character. But I'm obviously living the legacy of, of her parenting and so on and her parenting behind. So for me, I would like to sit down and have dinner with my grandmother and learn more about my family of origin and what informs them and what are the patterns that came down through the DNA and what are we responding to and what can we
1: heal? Oh, love that. Love it. And this is, it might surprise you to know most of my guests, they all choose a member of their family. Do they? That's and interesting. That, and that's where I feel that I'm picking the right people that resonate and sharing the stories. And the whole idea of saying, yes, you sit down round a table and break bread, as it were, you actually get dialogue, you get a conversation. Whereas if it's that you're listening and you're just speaking to someone, you don't always get the dialogue that you do when you're enjoying a meal. So that's why I put all that together just to see. And it's lovely. I see a whole series almost where I get guests to talk about what would the questions be asked sat around that table and how would you work with the answers and everything. It's just... I think it's
0: it's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. Thank
1: you for asking it. It's really good. (laughs) I mean, what I will do now, I'm going to bring this to a close because I know that you've got so much to share and you have you're a very very busy lady but I would love to ask you back and I just need to say a massive massive thank you I am so glad we connected we've connected for a reason and this is just the start and if I can help you in any way to promote what you do I will do because you are absolutely phenomenal. You really Thank
0: you me. very much. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you very much for that. And if anyone wants to find me, they can find me on Twitter um, at Rachel Gotto. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Rachel V Gotto. And you can find me on Facebook. My page, I think, is uh, Rachel Gotto Official. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. So you can hunt for me all over the place, uh, but I'm mostly found on Instagram and Twitter. So Rachel Vigotto and... At Rachel Gatto. So if anyone wants to join me and I put a lot of stuff out on Twitter, just inspirational stuff and bits and pieces about what I do every day, I think it's nice for people to get to know us and know what we like doing because I like making bread, for instance, on a Friday evening and there's always a picture of homemade bread or I keep a few hens and I might send pictures of my hens out or something. So it's all very personal.
1: Oh, this is wonderful. And I will share it with all my audience, I always share those links and the ways that you can connect with Rachel when the um, episode is so you can go through and link with that and I say do it straight away because this lady is so gifted there are going to be people coming at you from everywhere to say yes please can we learn some more because you are inspirational thank you so much
0: pal it's my pleasure entirely thank you for inviting me on your lovely show
1: thank you Thank you for listening to the Pearls
0: of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.